Welcome back, one and all. Once more, I bring you a timely message for your consideration, a hopeful message dedicated to the glory of God. We're going into the month of March presently, a time of transition when the cold winds of winter relent and the warm days of spring begin. For spring is a time of new beginnings, where life is renewed, where the problems of the past are often forsaken, and the wisdom of hope blossoms once again in our hearts. I've always loved spring. Who doesn't? Especially us folks living in the northern climates of America, where the cold, dark days of gloom never seem to end. As spring is a sure sign of new life, winter, conversely, is the season of sleep, or in a biblical sense, a time of death itself. I say symbolically, of course. It's an extremely interesting proposition, though, for I wish to consider the meaning of seasons and how they relate to the plan of God in our lives unfolding. Times of transition they are, the seasons, a gift of God to remind us of his bountiful goodness and endless glory, and that he is the founder of everything good. The word awesome should be reserved for God alone, I would think, for who can compare to the wonders he performs all around us? Miracles, we call them sometimes, astonishing miracles of life and evidence enough which proves there is a living God behind everything we are, everything we do, everything we know, and everything we feel. So then, we shall be talking about transitioning in part, and hopefully draw some delightful parallels which may not only enlighten us, but stir our conscious souls to the awareness of something far greater than we know. I have talked recently about the end of the age in other podcasts. That season of time which I believe we are presently in, confirming the soon and possibly very imminent return of our Lord Jesus Christ to reclaim this earth for his kingdom. In other words, it is the culminating time of this season of history we are living in, which I am sure is about to come to an end upon the earth. A time of God's grace it is. Remember, though, I have told you, the Bible tells us the earth shall never end. It shall change indeed. It shall greatly transition, of course. But the world as we know it, the planet itself, shall not cease from the plan of God, ever. Several points here to back these thoughts up. First, we are told in the book of Ecclesiastes, One generation passeth away and another, another generation cometh. But the earth abideth forever. That's, that's found in the first chapter, uh, verse 4. So then, with this simple thought firmly planted in our minds, we can move on to understand whereas God simply has no intentions of ending the seasons of time anytime soon. For the book of Genesis also tells us, While the earth remaineth, seed time and harvest, and cold and heat, and summer and winter, and day and night shall not cease. Chapter 8, verse 22. Therefore, our everlasting hope, the essence of our life, our very destiny itself, rests not upon the foundations of the earth, nor are they governed by the seasons of time, nor are we relied upon the wisdom of man. Certainly not. But everything we are as human beings rests in our faith. 
upon that Almighty One who has created our being and has established everything in perfect order. For know, the Lord God is sovereign over all his creation. God is a perpetual being, always has been, is now, and always will be. And yet we are temporal beings from the aspect of once being born, possessing a physical body, followed by an appointed time of death for every living creature that lives upon the earth. But think not it all ends at the grave, as some people might. For our souls and spirits, they have become perpetual in a sense, from whence they were first given to us by God when we were born into this world. I say, we shall live forever somewhere in the great beyond, no doubt in my mind whatsoever. The question is, but where? Job was an interesting character and is considered to be perhaps the oldest book in the Holy Bible. Job was a rich man who had nearly everything a man could possess. And then one day, a great time of testing came to that man and Job lost it all, save his life and the life of his wife. Everything else was gone, his children, his cattle, his possessions, all he owned. And as he sat upon the trash heap of misery and suffering, with boils covering his whole body, some people told old Job, Why don't you just give up and die? And this is what Job said, Naked came I out of my mother's womb, and naked I shall return thither. The Lord gave, and the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. First chapter, 21st verse. The moral of this very real story is this. Job believed God, and his faith was preserved. And thusly, Job was blessed in the end with more than he ever had, and that beyond all men of his day. Could we say that if life were to wrong us greatly? Let's talk about it. Let me begin here in stark contrast to my first thoughts by remembering to you <clears throat> a question I proposed in the introduction. After we die, after the grave, then what? It's a fair question, for death is a reality no person in their right mind can deny will happen to them. If our souls and spirits do live on then, where shall we be? I mean, what shall be our lot in eternity? What will life be like for us? People have struggled with death in the afterlife ever since time began, I should think. The Bible offers the only true perspective of what really happens to us when we die physically. And I don't care what anyone says to the contrary. If you do not believe what the Bible says, not in part, but in whole, that is your choice. And you are freely given that choice by God himself to make. If you do deny the Bible, though, if you should reject Jesus Christ as your only hope for salvation, then the Holy Bible says does say that you are a fool. That's not a pleasant message for a generation of people in America who do no longer want to hear the real truth about themselves. And many people in our day do object to the notion of Christians saying that Jesus Christ is the only way to God. They do not consider the consequences, though, by believing their own truth. For their own truth cannot save them. 
It can pacify them for a while and make them feel good, but it cannot ultimately save them from an appointment with a holy God who holds the keys to life and death. We either believe the word of God and are born to new life as it, as it say, and will live forever in the glory of God, or we will not be a part of God's kingdom at all. I didn't say it, but God has declared it throughout the scriptures, because he knows the beginning from the end. He knows each and every one of us very well, and because he loves us so and does not wish anyone to die an everlasting death in their soul and spirit, he has provided a way. Jesus Christ said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. John 14, uh, verse 6. Jesus tells us what is true in his word. That is why the Father in heaven has given us a Savior in Christ Jesus, one to die in our place on the cross, who may propitiate for our every sin, forgive us completely, and declare us holy and perfectly righteous before a perfect and holy God, through the blood of Christ which makes perfect atonement for our sin. And what makes the reality real is that Jesus Christ has bodily risen from his grave. The Bible says he was raised on the third day, for the grave could not hold him. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have preeminence. Colossians, first chapter, verse 18. Which means that Jesus is declared Lord of Lord and King of Kings and can save one to the uttermost. And yet one who can also cast the unbelieving sitter into the uttermost regions of darkness and hell itself. And yet Jesus spoke of a literal heaven and a literal hell. He wasn't kidding, folks, and he wasn't talking in fables or allegory regarding these two places. A place of paradise, another place of torment. Unfortunately, we are living in a day where truth is being compromised even in this bad theology being taught even in the churches and pulpits across America in nearly every denomination and walk of life. So then, in light of this, I'm going to speak something boldly which may not be very pleasing to some, and I will be taking, talking mainly to those who admittedly confess, yet they have no assurance in the Savior having no understanding or hope much at all in the word of God, and not knowing for certain whether they have been redeemed and have passed from death unto life. Heaven is very much a living reality. Most people I ever met over the years sense there is a heaven, but many people as well are not sure of whether it will be a reality for them one day. Make no mistake, even seasoned Christians go through seasons of doubt down here, let's face it, this life at times, while it is good, <clears throat> it can be very hard, cruel, and unforgiving. And being a Christian does not give anyone privilege to escape the testings, the trials, and the heartbreak of life. Our hope rests upon the very word of God and the promise therein contained which are endless for those who will believe and place their trust in the Lord. We live by faith and not by sight, the Bible says. And it doesn't matter if you were to see Jesus in the flesh. Many people did in his day. They saw his miracles, and just as many people that came to believe him, that many more rejected him, walked away, and inevitably crucified him. 
It's the nature of human will and the pride of life we stumble over. People get in trouble because they rest upon their own knowledge and understanding in this life. And often we are too prideful to humble ourselves before God and admit that we are wrong. The culture we live in in America today is very conducive to unbelief in the things of God. Thus, God is allowing America to suffer the consequences of her unbelief by all the mounting trouble which is still forthcoming to America. I reach out to the young people, especially who aimlessly drift on the pathway of their own understanding. Much through no fault of their own, they have been compromised and raised in a society and culture which has made mockery of the Bible and has dismissed the seriousness of God's truth as real. For those of us who will believe the truth of God, then we rest square on the promises we find in 1 John, whereas, He that believeth on the Son of God hath the witness in himself. He that believeth not God hath made him a liar, because he believed not the record that God gave of his Son. And this is the record that God hath given to us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He that hath the Son hath life, and he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. 1 John 5, 10-12 verse. So then, we can know for certain our end. Jesus tells us that we will be with God for all time if we believe on Christ, and that beyond a shadow of a doubt, to live in his everlasting love forevermore. For John calls our salvation here and now eternal life. That is the gift of God, and God does never take that gift from us, ever. Rather, once we possess it, I say, never, never, never. Conversely, the alternative is exceedingly regretful and without remedy. For there are no joyous or happy occasions in hell, only a miserable existence in a darkness apart from the very lovely light of our Savior. And people will have no one to blame but themselves if they miss the glory of heaven, especially in America, whereas the witness of God's word has been great. People go to hell not because God condemns them. Rather, they have condemned themselves, for they have rejected the only means available to them to escape eternal damnation. They have rejected Jesus Christ himself, the living witness of the truth. Again, the choice we make in this life is ours and will determine for us our destiny in eternity. The Bible says, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all shall come to repentance. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 9 And repentance is the key through humility the desire to completely turn away from our sin, trusting in the Lord's sacrifice to grant us privilege into the glories beyond. You can go to hell if you wish to. I, I say that not to be facetious, not to be mean-spirited. I say it very seriously, for we are living in a day where people are being told there is no real place of hell to fret over. We are being told that Jesus Christ was not born of a virgin. He was just a good man and teacher. The notion that people are sinners is not an acceptable message in our day. Rather, people only make mistakes. And then there is the lie being widely told throughout that God is finished with the Jewish nation. 
the rather disheartening and dubious concept of replacement theology being pandered these days. And then there is the grandest lie of all, whereas most people believe or are being taught that somehow most people do get to heaven when they die. That is, if there is a heaven. We live in a day of deception and confusion, and it's more widespread in America than practically anywhere else on the earth. I speak from experience in living seven decades on this earth, and honestly, I cannot believe the changes I've seen in all that time. Astonishing changes in technology, and yet moral declining happening without precedent. It's not just the lies which are being propagated today we should worry about. Truth exists as it always has, but the light of the gospel has been greatly suppressed in that truth, and that is a very dangerous position we are in in America. A nation that once sought for truth in every facet of life is now condemning those who preach it. In every pulpit across our land once, we preach the message that America, although an imperfect nation, yet took honor for her badge and justice for her sword. And we as a people stood for righteousness altogether, standing in the way of evil and deception and offering hope to all the world that the ways of God were the ways to freedom. The glorious Easter season is upon us now. Let's talk about that too. Well now, the Easter season is coming early this year, is it? What with Good Friday falling on March 29th and the Day of Resurrection of our Lord occurring the following Sunday on a March 31st observance. And I prefer to use the word Easter as the day remembering the most glorious day perhaps on the Christian calendar. I use the word unapologetically, differing with those in the Christian community who consider the word Easter a pagan reference to the day of Christ's resurrection. I point out that they would be quite inaccurate in their assumption, though believing that Easter today is still a pagan holiday. It is not. For traditionally, ever since the time of the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ from the grave, when God the Father, by the power of the Holy Spirit, raised his Son from the dead, there has been controversy in the church over it, yet there is reference in the King James Bible to the word Easter. Many early Christian followers used the Greek variation Pascha, which means Passover, happening at the time of Easter. And so Easter conversely was celebrated at this same time so as to imply the very time when Christ was indeed raised from the dead. It is a differ differentiation as the church was determined to align itself not with pagan traditions, but to establish Easter time as the day of observance for our Lord's resurrection. We see in this text in Acts where the Apostle James has been martyred for the faith, and Peter is being pursued by Herod in order to suppress the preaching of the gospel of Christ. Therefore it is written, And when he had apprehended him, meaning Herod, he put him in prison and delivered him to four 
quaternions of soldiers to keep him, intending after Easter to bring him forth to the people. Acts 12th chapter verse 4. It's interesting that Herod did not want to aggravate the situation with the people, purposely waiting for Easter to pass, leading one to believe that old Herod himself associated Easter with Christ. It's the same old argument about Christmas being a pagan holiday. I've heard for so many years, and that is nonsense too. And I've already discussed that topic in the Christmas season in past podcasts, so I'll not reference anything more here about that. For Easter is the focus, and I think it the most important, miraculous event that ever occurred on the face of the earth, aside from creation itself. For without Christ being raised from the dead, we would have no faith. We would have no hope whatsoever of redemption. Easter is the marker that marks the day when our Christian faith became a reality and we began to follow the risen Lord in every way. It's a little too bad, though, that the body of Christ followers today, the Church of Jesus Christ itself, I'm talking about those who believe and preach the fundamental teachings of the Christian faith, which are that Jesus Christ did come in the flesh and that he was born of the Virgin Mary, that he proclaimed the good news of salvation and reconciliation with God, that he once suffered death on a cross for the remission of our sin, and that he was buried in a tomb and on the third day was raised from the dead, that he ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father, and that we believe he is coming again to judge this world for its sin, to glorify his church in our body resu- bodily resurrection even as he has been raised from the dead, and finally, where he will establish his kingdom upon the earth and be worshipped as King of kings and Lord of lords for all time. This is the gospel of what all Christians must believe. To stumble over old dogmas, to criticize other Christians over insignificant issues that really have no bearing in the matters of salvation is not only a waste of time, but it alienates those who do not yet believe seeing that we are not united in our belief always. It also wounds the body of Christ and causes division. And most importantly, it grieves the Holy Spirit of God who seeks to unite us as one in Christ. The time is drawing short. The mission is this as it always has been when Christ commanded his followers, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. But he that believeth not shall be damned. Mark, the 16th chapter, verses 15 to 16. And there you have it. That's one Christian's perspective on the matter. I could say much more, but time is limited now. But know this. The difference in the Christian community we stumble over are insignificant, really. The enemy of the cross of Jesus Christ are not fellow Christians, but our flesh, the devil, and the secular world is. Our strength is in our numbers. Our faith is in our witness. The truth is in Christ. Go and celebrate Easter and be thankful you are counted amongst those who will live in the glorious kingdom of God forevermore.
Again, I say, as I've said before, my heart is for Christ and for the lost souls whom I am trying to reach in his name. Jesus is the only hope for America now. The world is in a terrible state of affairs, and we are faring not much better in America these days. Washington is providing no hope. We cannot place our trust in those who only seek to hide the real truth from us. The kingdom of God is coming, and the judgments of the Lord shall be swift when his cup of wrath begins to overflow. The Bible warns us that we must seek the Lord while time is with us, for no man owns tomorrow. Our life is a morning mist, a vapor as it were. We are here today and gone tomorrow is an old saying which is true. If you do not yet have Christ as your Savior, then seek him with all your heart while you may. I've always said you can have everything in this life you've desired, and yet if you have not Christ, you have nothing, my friend. Please reference my book. There is so much more I write about America, observing for what has been and yet what will be. The book is Americans We Were. You can find it at Amazon and Barnes & Noble. You can also visit my page, Americans We Were, on Facebook. So till we meet again, I pray God will bless you in every good way. I am Henry Thomas Weber. Maranatha, come Lord Jesus.